Hey everyone, welcome back to my podcast, Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit. This is your host, Dr. Steve Sullivan, coming to you from the suburbs of Philadelphia, where I teach anatomy and physiology at Bucks County Community College, and I've been doing that since 2002. So we're back after the semester break that took place over the holidays. It is now the beginning of 2024, so this is now about 22 years since I started teaching A&P at Bucks. Uh, it's gone way faster than I ever thought it would have. But I do love what I do, and I also really like putting this podcast together for you so that hopefully it can help you get that beer better that you need at A&P. We're going to start off 2024 with the endocrine system. So we're going to get into hormones, communication systems that are different from the nervous system. We'll talk about how it's different from the nervous system. We'll talk about some specific endocrine glands and other hormone-secreting glands that are not purely endocrine glands. So I'm glad to have you with me for that. This is a really important topic because from a healthcare perspective, this is extremely clinically significant because so many things that your hormones do are regulating all of the homeostatic balances that happen inside your body. And when those homeostatic balances get out of balance, that's when we have disease states. So this is super important. I'm glad you're here for it. So I think it's time to get started. When we talk about the endocrine system, we're talking about a system of communication. But instead of using electrical signals and neurotransmitters for that communication, we're using chemical messengers called hormones. You've probably heard of hormones. They are the chemical messengers that circulate through your blood, traveling from the gland that secretes them and to their target tissues. So this is a different form of communication. It is slower than the nervous system, and we can't target specific tissues only with hormones. Rather, hormones will circulate throughout your blood and come in contact with tissues, whether those tissues are targets or not. So it's a different system. It works a little bit differently, and we're going to explore all of that. Let's start by talking about the hormone-secreting endocrine glands. So these are glands that secrete their products directly into the bloodstream. Now, compare that to exocrine glands that we've talked about in the past. Exocrine glands secrete their substances into a duct that leads to either a lumen or onto the surface of your skin. Endocrine glands don't do that. They secrete directly into the bloodstream. So you've probably heard of some endocrine glands, like the pituitary, the thyroid, the parathyroid, and the adrenal glands. These organs are pure endocrine glands, but they're not the only ones that secrete hormones. Hormones are secreted by cells and tissues of other organs that are not solely considered endocrine glands, like the brain, the heart, the stomach, liver, small intestine, pancreas, kidneys, muscles, bones, fat, all of them secrete hormones. So it's not just the classic endocrine glands, pituitary and thyroid and adrenal glands. It is also almost all of your other tissues that have the capability of secreting hormones so they can communicate with other tissues in your body. 
So since the endocrine system and the nervous system are our two main communication systems, let's compare them. So remember that the nervous system uses chemical messengers like neurotransmitters most of the time, right? So not always, but most of the time we use chemical messengers called neurotransmitters to transmit the nerve signal from one neuron to the next or to its target or effector. Those neurotransmitters are released from the neuron directly to and at the receptor that is on their target tissue or cell. It's, it's extremely targeted, it is precise, and its actions take place immediately. Not only do they take place immediately, but they stop fairly abruptly when the release of that neurotransmitter stops. So the nervous system can stimulate its effector very quickly and stop its stimulation very quickly. That's not how we have it in the endocrine system. The endocrine system still uses chemical messengers, and we call those hormones. In most cases, those hormones are traveling through the blood, and they're going through the circulatory system's blood vessels until they diffuse out of the vessels and into the interstitial fluid surrounding our cells and tissues. It's there that hormones can stimulate receptors on or inside their target cells. So think about that. We're delivering these hormones. And let's say you're delivering a hormone whose target cell is bone tissue, right? So let's say parathyroid hormone, for example. And the target tissue is bone tissue and bone cells. When the parathyroid gland, which is in your neck, releases parathyroid hormone into the bloodstream, it doesn't have a navigation system that goes right to your bones. It goes into your blood and travels everywhere that blood goes. That means it's going to come in contact with non-target cells. So how does it know which cells are target cells and which cells are not target cells? Why isn't parathyroid hormone stimulating all these cells that it's not supposed to be stimulating? Well, the reason is because only target cells for that hormone will have a receptor for that hormone. So what makes a target cell for a hormone a target cell for that hormone is whether or not it has receptors for that hormone. So yeah, parathyroid hormone is going to hit fat cells and skin cells and liver cells and kidney cells all day. But those cells aren't going to do anything in response to parathyroid hormone because they don't have receptors for parathyroid hormone. Bone cells do. So that is what's going to be stimulated by parathyroid hormone. So it's very specific. If you don't have the receptor for a particular hormone, then you are not a target cell for that particular hormone. And that's how we can control what these hormones do, even though we're basically dumping them out to every one of your tissues. Now, what that also means is that the effects don't happen immediately in most cases. So when you have a hormone that circulates throughout your body to find its target cells, you have to wait until it comes in contact with those target cells. So it's a little slower than a neuron going directly to its effector and stimulating it immediately. It also means that when the gland stops secreting that hormone, 
the effects of that hormone don't immediately stop because you have to wait until that hormone is cleared from your blood by your liver and kidneys. So it has a slower time before it can take effect and it takes a little longer for the effects to stop after the secretion of the hormone stops. All right, so let's talk about the difference between endocrine and exocrine glands a little bit more. The basic difference between endocrine glands and exocrine glands is that endocrine glands secrete hormones and exocrine glands secrete almost everything else. So if it's not a hormone, if it's sweat, tears, sebum, cerumen, digestive enzymes, saliva, or anything like that, it is an exocrine secretion. If it's a hormone, thyroid hormone, insulin, glucagon, human growth hormone, follicle-stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, etc., they come from endocrine glands. From a structural standpoint, multicellular exocrine glands are typically bound by a fibrous capsule and, like I said before, they secrete their product into one or more ducts that then release it into a lumen, a cavity, or onto the surface of your skin. Now remember, there are single-celled exocrine glands, like goblet cells, that secrete mucin that eventually becomes mucus. Endocrine glands, on the other hand, are not bound by a fibrous capsule. And they have a robust blood supply. All right, so now I know that we haven't gotten to the circulatory system yet in these episodes, but I do want to talk about blood vessels uh, and the circulatory unit that the hormones are going to travel through, just to give, give you a heads up on what we're talking about. So you've heard of arteries and veins and capillaries probably. So arteries are described as the vessels that carry blood away from the heart. Veins are the vessels that carry blood back to the heart. And between arteries and veins, among some smaller versions of arteries and veins, are capillaries, which are microscopic vessels. And most of them are porous, meaning that blood plasma and the solutes in blood plasma, which include hormones, can filter out of the capillaries and into the tissue fluid surrounding our cells. And then the fluid that's surrounding the cells, called interstitial fluid, can also be reabsorbed back into the capillary along with its solutes. And then travel back to the heart where it can be pumped back to all the other tissues in the body, go through the lungs, get some oxygen, deliver some CO2, you know, things like that. So these endocrine cells that produce hormones release them into the interstitial fluid and then that gets reabsorbed into the capillary and carried away in the bloodstream by the veins. Now, eventually, that blood and the hormones dissolved in its plasma, which is the watery component of blood, makes it back to the heart and is pumped into the arteries to be carried toward our tissues again. Now, those hormones that got secreted, now they have a chance to come in contact with target cells. So let me use parathyroid hormone as an example again. We talked about parathyroid hormone when we talked about bone tissue. The parathyroid glands secrete parathyroid hormone into the blood. The blood carries it until it leaves a capillary and comes in contact with one of its target cells. And one of its target cells would be an osteoblast. That's one of the bone cells. When its receptor is stimulated, so 
That osteoblast has a parathyroid hormone receptor. When that receptor is stimulated by parathyroid hormone, it sets off an action that ultimately results in the activation of osteoclasts. And their role, if you remember, is to resorb the minerals from the matrix of osseous tissue and release them into the bloodstream. Now, the fact that osteoblasts have receptors for parathyroid hormone means they are target cells. If that parathyroid hormone comes in contact with a cell that doesn't have receptors, like a muscle cell, then nothing happens because the lack of a receptor means it's not a target cell for that hormone. So this is just a good general idea of how the endocrine system works in terms of sending its chemical messengers and those chemical messengers reaching their target cells. All right, let's talk about the functions of the endocrine system because we're dealing with over 70 different hormones and they're gonna combine to carry out so many different functions because their targets are everywhere. So many of your tissues and cells are target cells for some hormone. So we're doing so much with the endocrine system in terms of controlling so many homeostatic mechanisms that uh, I wanna go over some of these functions. So we have hormones that help maintain our blood volume, our cellular composition, and the solutes in blood plasma, such as glucose and electrolytes. So the cellular composition of blood means how much of it is red blood cells, how much of it is white blood cells, how much of it is platelets. So our blood cell production is called hematopoiesis. And that can be broken down into red blood cell production, which is called erythropoiesis because red blood cells are erythrocytes, and white blood cell production, which is called leukopoiesis because white blood cells are called leukocytes. There's a hormone called erythropoietin that stimulates red blood cell production. So we actually have hormones that change the cellular composition of your blood. We have hormones for blood volume. One of those would be called aldosterone. That's an example. Another one would be antidiuretic hormone. Our blood glucose levels, our electrolyte levels. Blood glucose levels are controlled by insulin and glucagon, two more hormones. We already talked about parathyroid hormone, and parathyroid hormone will help regulate the calcium ion concentration of your blood. So all of these are good examples. A lot of times people think about hormones and they think about hormones like testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. They think about sex hormones. They think about the hormones that regulate puberty and female menstrual cycle and the female ovarian cycle and all of those things. But there's way more to hormones than just that. Hormones are controlling so much that's going on in your bodies. Hormones also regulate digestive function. So hormones are secreted in response to food entering the digestive system, and they control the secretion of digestive juices and the muscular contractions that propel digestive contents through the gastrointestinal tract. They regulate the reproductive system. We kind of talked about that. Among other things, hormones determine the onset and results of puberty, the maturation and release of egg cells, and sperm cell production. They regulate growth and development. There's hormones that regulate when and how often our cells divide and differentiate into more specialized cells, and that helps us grow and develop. 
So think about human growth hormone. Human growth hormone stimulates your body's cells to undergo mitosis so that you can get larger, but also just so that you can repair and maintain the tissues that you have. Think about thyroid hormone. Thyroid hormone regulates your metabolic rate, whether or not your cells are active. And when cells are active, they generate heat. So thyroid hormone also will help regulate your body temperature. So there's a lot of functions happening because of the endocrine system. So really try to keep into perspective how big this system is and how important this system is. So remember, most hormones enter the circulatory system's blood vessels and travel anywhere the blood travels. Those hormones are called circulating hormones, but they don't all do that. Not all hormones circulate throughout your bloodstream. We also have local hormones, and they stay close to the cells that secrete them, rather than entering the general circulation. And there's two kinds of local hormones. There are paracrines, which target nearby cells of the same tissue, and autocrines, which target receptors on the same cell that secreted the hormone. Remember, auto means self, like an autobiography is written by the person that it's about. So another thing that's important about hormones is the chemical classes of hormones and some other characteristics. So let's talk about some characteristics of hormones that are going to be important to us in terms of the hormone's mechanism of action and how the hormone travels to its target cell. So the first thing we want to consider is whether the hormone is hydrophilic or hydrophobic. Remember, hydrophilic means water-soluble and hydrophobic means lipid-soluble. The solubility affects the way a hormone is transported in the blood and how it stimulates the receptors on its target cell. To get to their target cells, most hormones, like I said, travel through the circulatory system dissolved in the blood plasma. So let's talk about blood for a second. Blood is a fluid connective tissue and it consists of cells and an extracellular matrix. But in this case, the extracellular matrix is called blood plasma, which is 98 plus percent water. That means that whatever's traveling through the blood has to be dissolved in a watery medium. I mean, not all of it dissolves in it, but for the most part, it's real easy to travel if you can be dissolved in the watery blood plasma. So water-soluble hormones, hydrophilic hormones, they're real good at getting to their target cells because they can very easily travel through the blood plasma. But then when they get to their target cells, remember that their plasma membranes are mostly lipids. So the solubility of the hormone also determines whether or not it can be transported across the plasma membrane and into the cytosol of the cell that it's targeting. Some hormone receptors are membrane proteins that contact the extracellular fluid while some are found inside the cell. So not all receptors are on the target cell, some of them are in the target cell. So that's gonna be an important distinction here because water-soluble hormones, while they can travel easily through the blood plasma, they're gonna have a hard time getting through the plasma membrane, which is the lipid bilayer. Whereas lipid-soluble hormones, 
can easily be transported across the lipid bilayer because they'll diffuse right through those lipids. But they have a hard time getting to their target cells because they don't dissolve in the blood plasma. So we've got a little bit of an issue here. And it is, what is the solubility of the hormone? And if it's lipid soluble, how's it going to get to its target cell? And if it's water soluble, how's it going to get in its target cell? So those are the things that we want to consider now. And the solubility of the hormone will determine how those things are going to happen. And we'll get to that. But let's also talk about the other chemical classes of hormones. We've got peptides, which are also known as protein-based hormones. We have steroids, which are lipid-soluble and have a cholesterol ring as the base of the molecule. And we have monoamines, which are also known as biogenic amines. The majority of hormones are peptide hormones, which are all water-soluble hormones. And as you remember from your studies and previous episodes, peptides and proteins are chains of amino acids held together by peptide bonds, which are a kind of covalent bond. Examples of peptide hormones are follicle-stimulating hormone, human growth hormone, and thyroid-stimulating hormone. All three of those hormones come from the pituitary gland. Now, that doesn't mean that all peptide hormones come from the pituitary gland, but those three do. Monoamines are synthesized from amino acids and retain an amino group in their chemical composition. Many monoamine hormones are also found in the synaptic vesicles of neurons and serve as neurotransmitters when released into a synaptic cleft. Some examples are dopamine, melatonin, epinephrine, thyroid hormone. These are examples of monoamines. Now, except for the pineal gland's melatonin, which is derived from tryptophan, all monoamines are derived from the amino acid tyrosine. Now, a subclass of these monoamines are catecholamines. Dopamine, epinephrine, and norepinephrine are collectively known as the catecholamines. So, except for thyroid hormone, all monoamines are water-soluble. Thyroid hormone is lipid-soluble. So, I want to backtrack a little bit into this idea that we've got neurotransmitters that are also hormones. Right? So I said that some of these monoamine hormones are found in synaptic vesicles in a neuron, and when they're released into a synaptic cleft, they function as neurotransmitters. Dopamine, melatonin, epinephrine. So how is that? Why do we have these chemical messengers that are sometimes hormones and sometimes neurotransmitters, and how do we know when they're which? Well, the answer is actually pretty simple. I've said before, and you might have heard this in a previous episode, one of the rules of A&P that I follow, that I tell my students all the time, is location, location, location. You may have heard that in relative to kind of a joke from real estate agents where they say, what are the three most important things about real estate? Location, location, and location. Same thing. When the chemical messenger is in the blood, it's a hormone. When it's in a synaptic vesicle or a synaptic cleft or bound to a receptor on a postsynaptic membrane, it is a neurotransmitter. So it all just depends on where it is. The chemical composition of dopamine is the same whether it's in your bloodstream or whether it's in a synaptic vesicle. It's all about where is it and when. So keep that in mind 
uh, in terms of these chemical messengers that are pulling double duty in our two main communication systems. All right, one more class of hormones, steroid hormones. They are all lipid soluble and they're synthesized from cholesterol, like I said before. Hormones associated with the reproductive organs like progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone are steroids. Not to mention hormones associated with the adrenal cortex that are responsible for our stress responses like cortisol, aldosterone, and corticosterone. They're all steroid hormones. Notice some of the common bonds, right? So not all of them, but many of these end in O-N-E, progesterone, testosterone, aldosterone, corticosterone. That tells you it's a steroid hormone. Now, not all of them, cortisol, estrogen, they, are, they don't have that ending, but they're steroids. If you see O-N-E, it's going to be a steroid. All right, I want to finish up by talking about the secretion of hormones and how they're transported in the blood. So keep in mind the word secrete means to synthesize and release a physiologically active substance. So think of things like hormones, bile, sweat, sebum, milk, lacrimal fluid. Those are all secretions, and they're all physiologically active substances. Now, some secretions are synthesized by one organ, but then stored and released by another. Bile is a good example of this. Bile is produced by the liver, but it's stored and released by the gallbladder. So personally, I like to say the gallbladder releases bile because it doesn't really synthesize it. So I don't use the word secretion in that particular context. Oxytocin is another good example. Oxytocin is a hormone that is synthesized by the hypothalamus, but it's stored and released by the posterior lobe of the pituitary gland. So I like to describe hormones that are released by something other than what synthesizes them as released, not secreted. So you'll kind of see that uh, as we go when we get into more specific conversations about hormones in the endocrine system. Now, hormone levels aren't maintained at constant levels throughout the day. Rather, they're typically secreted or released on a schedule, like those that regulate the female reproductive cycles. Uh, so if you think about the female reproductive cycles, and they usually are somewhere around 28 days, and there's ups and downs of estrogen and progesterone and follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, all based on the maturation of an oocyte, and the release of that oocyte and preparation of the uterine wall for the uh, implantation and the growth and development of perhaps an embryo and a fetus. So that's all based on a cycle and hormones are going to go up and down throughout that cycle. And that's kind of how hormones are released. And there are three different types of stimuli that actually control hormone release. There's neural stimuli, so the nervous system. Hormonal stimuli, so sometimes hormone secretion is stimulated by other hormones. And there's humoral stimuli, which means that the blood levels of certain things will stimulate hormone secretion. So let's start with the neural stimuli, the nervous system. If you think about the adrenal gland, the adrenal gland is really like two separate glands in one. It's an inner portion called the adrenal medulla and an outer portion called the adrenal cortex. 
the adrenal medulla, which is where we get epinephrine and norepinephrine, is innervated by the sympathetic division of the autonomic nervous system. So sympathetic neural stimulation to the adrenal medulla will stimulate the secretion of epinephrine and norepinephrine. So that's an example of neural stimuli. Now, many hormones are also stimulated by the release of other hormones. For example, adrenocorticotropic hormone from the pituitary gland. So the pituitary gland, which is near your brain, has a hormone called ACTH, or adrenocorticotropic hormone. This is a hormone that targets the adrenal cortex, the outer shell of the adrenal gland, and stimulates it to secrete hormones called glucocorticoids. So this is a hormone that comes from one gland, travels through the bloodstream, and then targets another gland. So glucocorticoids are subject to release by the stimulation from other hormones. Now, typically, hormones that target endocrine cells to secrete and release other hormones are called tropic hormones. That's why you hear adrenocorticotropic hormone. You're going to see words like gonadotropins. You're going to see words like thyrotropin. These are hormones that target other glands and stimulate the release of other hormones. That's what a tropic hormone is. All right, the last one is the humoral stimulation. So if you think about hormones that regulate your electrolyte concentration in your blood plasma, those hormones are going to be stimulated for release by our body's monitoring of those electrolyte levels. So sodium ions or nutrients like glucose, they can also stimulate hormonal secretion because their levels are going to help themselves by stimulating the release of other hormones. So here's an example. Blood glucose, which is the dissolved glucose in your blood plasma, the amount of blood sugar that you've got. When blood glucose levels are high, the pancreas is stimulated to secrete a hormone called insulin. Insulin initiates a bunch of effects that are going to bring glucose down. For example, it's going to stimulate the liver to store glucose as glycogen. It's going to increase our cells' permeability to glucose so that they absorb more glucose out of the blood, and that will bring the blood sugar levels down. So that's one example. Conversely, low blood glucose levels stimulate the pancreas to secrete glucagon. Glucagon is a hormone from the pancreas that does the opposite of insulin. It brings blood sugar back up by stimulating the liver to decrease its stores of glucose, to break down glycogen and release glucose into the blood, and makes our cells less permeable to glucose so the blood levels stay high. Peptide hormones are released via exocytosis when they're stimulated, which means they're stored in secretory vesicles after they're synthesized. Steroid hormones, on the other hand, are released as soon as they're synthesized without being stored in the cells that secrete them. Now, thyroid hormone is unique because it is stored in the thyroid gland, but not in secretory vesicles. Rather, the thyroid gland has something called thyroid follicles, which are lined with simple cuboidal epithelium, and they store thyroid hormone as it is bound to a protein called thyroglobulin. So not all hormones are stored. Some are, 
Peptide hormones are released via exocytosis, like I said before. They're stored in secretory vesicles. Steroid hormones, they get released immediately. Thyroid hormones, they get stored in follicles, not secretory vesicles. Now, once a hormone is secreted, it enters the circulatory system through the capillary walls so it can be transported to its target cells. So those capillary walls, remember, are fenestrated, or you have these intracellular clefts that allow the absorption of interstitial fluid into the blood plasma. That interstitial fluid is now going to have that newly released hormone in it, so it gets absorbed by the bloodstream and can now travel throughout the circulatory system in hopes of finding a target cell, which means a cell that has a receptor for it. Now, eventually, it's going to reach other capillaries, and those capillary walls are also fenestrated or have intercellular clefts, and those intercellular clefts and fenestrations are going to allow the blood plasma to leave the circulatory system and enter the interstitial fluid with the hormone in it. And now that hormone can potentially reach a target cell. Depending on whether the hormone is hydrophilic or hydrophobic, is going to determine how it travels through the circulatory system. Now, hydrophilic hormones, which are water-soluble, they very easily dissolve in the watery blood plasma so they can be transported throughout the circulatory system with no problem whatsoever. However, hydrophobic hormones, lipid-soluble hormones, like steroids and thyroid hormone, cannot dissolve in the blood plasma on their own because they're lipid-soluble. The solution is that the liver synthesizes albumins and globulins called transport proteins and deposits them into the blood plasma. These proteins are hydrophilic, and the lipid-soluble hormones will bind to those proteins and create a new molecule complex. That new complex is hydrophilic and can now dissolve in the blood plasma. So the lipid-soluble hormone becomes temporarily water-soluble because of its binding to a transport protein. A bound hormone is protected from the enzymes that are intended to break them down so they can't be cleared by the kidneys. So remember that the kidneys and the liver, they're going to break down your circulating hormone so that they can be released from your body. We call that clearance. So that way, when you're done secreting that hormone, you don't want it to keep having its effects. Bound hormone is protected from these enzymes that break it down so that they don't get cleared. We can only clear unbound lipid-soluble hormones. So that means that lipid-soluble hormones last longer in the circulatory system, and we don't have to constantly synthesize more to meet the demands of our body's current situations. So when we think about clearance, there's a term we use called the hormone's half-life. That means it's the amount of time it takes the body to eliminate about half of the secreted volume of a hormone. Now, not all the lipid-soluble hormones in our blood are bound all the time. Our blood consists of both bound and unbound hormones. And this is good because bound hormones can't leave the circulatory system. Only the unbound hormones can. And the percentage of a specific hormone that is unbound is called its free fraction. Only the free fraction can exit the capillary through the intercellular clefts or fenestrations into the interstitial fluid.
So we have to have a free fraction. Now, most hormones have a specific transport protein that they bind to, and their free fraction is relatively low, like 10% or less. There is an exception, though. Aldosterone, which comes from the adrenal cortex, has a free fraction that can be as high as 85% because it has no specific transport protein. That makes its half-life really short because it isn't bound to anything most of the time, so it's not protected from those enzymes. So aldosterone has to be secreted a lot because it has a half-life of about 20 minutes. All right, so I think that's plenty for the endocrine system. Um, that was a lot of content, so I think you got a good start. We're going to use subsequent episodes to talk more specifically about specific glands and hormones. We might even have an entire episode just on the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland because those are two really big players in the endocrine system. So I appreciate your patience in waiting for the holiday break to be over for this latest episode. And I also really appreciate all of you listeners who are subscribing and downloading and listening. And um, I really do appreciate it. It is nice to know that all the work I'm putting behind this is um, being utilized by students. So hopefully listening to this podcast is helping you get your B or better in A&P because that is the goal. And um, I look forward to the next episode where we continue on with the endocrine system in a little bit more detail and specifics for specific glands and hormones. Good luck, and I'll talk to you next time. Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit is a production of Minus 55 Media. Please take the time to rate the podcast, and don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Student Help for AP. That's Student Help, the number four, AP. There's a whole lot of tutor videos on there that I think you're going to find helpful. Special thanks to my family, Bucks County Community College, and McGraw-Hill Education, where you can find Anatomy and Physiology Digital Suite, my low-cost, tutor video-based digital learning solution for Anatomy and Physiology, already being used at several colleges and universities. The music you've been hearing comes with my paid accounts with Camtasia and ProductionCrate.com assets.